Summer, is that you? Frank, hey. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. Um, I'm talking to you in between raindrops over here in New York. We've got storms all throughout the morning, but it, it, it's cleared up just for five minutes. Listen, uh, this is way overdue. Oh, yes, it is. I'm so happy you're on. Uh, you've done me the courtesy of having me on your show uh, a few times already, which is always such a highlight for me because your show is literally my favorite corner of the entire internet. Wow. Now, that is, it's a high compliment. I, I really appreciate that. And let me say that our talks, you've probably been on, I don't know, maybe close to half a dozen times at this point. And I always enjoy our talks because really nothing's, um, nothing's off limits. And, and you're, always very, you're always on top of the things that really matter. It's not just about geopolitics. It's about nutrition. I, that was the last one that we did. We started. You you introduced me to to Ren. That turned into a great a great conversation about uh, about raw eggs and and what we're losing in our in our diets. I mean, and, and that ties right into the Great Reset. So it's always so interconnected. Our talks. It's uh, a great great privilege to be friends. For me too. Uh, for me too, Frank. And I think one of the things we have in common is that we love looking back. We love history and what these as you call them, the controllers have done to us over the over the decade and the last century, really. Yeah, I think I think what we've done together um, and and apart have we've focused in on something that it has been called in the past, but I've I've focused on it and calling it the uh, the quickening. Uh, lots has been have been written about that. People also talk a lot about the fourth turning and how we go into these cyclical phases of the rise and fall of empires, the, the establishment and the destruction of liberty, um, the philosophy going into dark ages, into, into uh, new golden ages. And I, I, I think that the, the most fascinating part of what we do in really playing observer and discussing what's going on around us is just seeing where we fit into this quickening. And what I mean by that is when you see this this trend in people and societies that are obviously scratching and clawing for truth, we have a disadvantage when we grow up in the West now with our education system. Sometimes we will get some math that we can apply to balancing a checkbook. If people even have checkbooks anymore, you get your addition, your subtraction, but even that is not devoid of ridiculous, you know, uh, political correctness and Hey, things that just hamper a human being for being healthy and whole. But other than that, it's a great disadvantage with American or even European Western education because I, I think it's it's largely accepted now. It's there to dull the senses and the perception that we have of things going on around us to accept the status quo and to perpetuate it. But even though we grow up inside of this bubble – there's something inside of our guts just that is just innately there that realizes something is wrong. It may not have a face. It may not have uh, a definition, but something is wrong. And from that gut feeling, still, there is so much, so much potential for realizing or in, in, in investigation. And I think that we are finally, with the, the help of a lot of, uh, a lot of great researchers and commentators of the recent past, we have been accelerating our way, our pursuit of truth, or at least our pursuit of better questions to ask.
And as consciousness is raising, we see this quickening of the forces who are trying to stifle consciousness or the raising of consciousness in the opposite direction. Those forces are government, their media, their intelligence, psychological operations, their medical industries, the, uh, the so-called nutritional gurus that don't want anybody eating anything that's good for them. Um, I really do believe that you see, more so than ever, this matching of pace and this quickening to try to go and throw a wet blanket over something that, in many ways, cannot be stopped. You know, what's that old, that old saying? Uh, nothing can stop an idea whose time has come. Is that Jules Verne? I forget. But nothing can stop an idea whose time has come. So it's almost like there is this uh, mad dash to a finish line, either a golden age or a brick wall. But we're heading towards something, and uh, it's a little bit unnerving, but at the same time, unnerving in the same way that you get when you're on a really, really exhilarating ride on a roller coaster. And that's the ride I like taking with people like you. You're absolutely right, Frank. There is this acceleration uh, that the controllers or the rulers are deploying in terms of the latest stages of their plan, the Great Reset, a.k.a. the rebranding of the New World Order. And you've mentioned this before, they're sloppy as a result. They weren't expecting so many of us to be in this opposing movement that, you know, is commonly referred to as also the Great Awakening. And the result is that the more the more brazen they are, the more people are waking up. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, by the way, that, that, that quote is from uh, Victor Hugo, mm-hmm. uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Les Miserables, all that stuff. Hey, by the way, how many, how many languages do you speak? Uh, my mother tongue is French. Uh, English is a close second. I learned English when I was very little, and I learned German and Spanish in school, although both are quite rusty, I have to admit, because I haven't practiced so much. Well, your rusty is fluent for me, trust me. And if, you're, if your mother tongue is French, then I have to say, because I know that you watch my show, I apologize profusely for all of my, my follies in trying to say French words and names. That is, it's, it's just the bane of my existence trying to say French words. It's just terrible. No, well, I, you just did a great job with Les Miserables. Oh, no. See, I did not say it like that. You did. It was very close. But I can tell you, you can say Victor Hugo. What was it? Victor Hugo? Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But coming back to what you were saying, uh, you had the legend that is G. Edward Griffin on your show last night, and you asked him, as you always do, very pointed questions. You're really one of the best hosts out there. And you asked him about his red pill. I won't, uh, I won't give out the spoiler alert. I'll put a link in the description box for the show because everybody needs to watch it, of what was his red pill. But I want to ask you about yours. Oh, okay. Well, um, he had a very definitive red pill as you'll see and it's just he just noticed a crack in the wall and it led to other cracks for me um and i talk about this later on in the show after he gets off the air and it's just me in the audience just uh stewing and and everything and simmering and what we just engaged in but i would say that there wasn't one thing in particular 
because I was always, from a young, young age, even before I, I knew the players and the name of the game, and I, 9-11, September 11th, definitely shook things up. Shook things up because it was such a traumatic, especially for a New Yorker, it was very, very traumatic, and uh, it was, it was. This is when I'm starting to learn about trauma-based mind control and and the the jingoism that goes along with it, and then what happened to the world. Um, September 11th is very, very easily one of the worst things to happen to the world. For everything that we could we could uh, we could focus in on on a, as a uh, an American nation, what happened to us physically what happened on a geopolitical sense and the civilian toll elsewhere. I mean, it was, it was yeah. horrible. Just the tragedy, but, the tragedy itself, and then all yeah. the ramifications. You know, and I'll put it to you this way there, too. You think about the things that changed, and I'll get back to where my roots with all that, but I even think about the little things. For example, these silly little movies. You ever see the movie Sleepless in Seattle? Yes, it's of a, course. Okay, well, you have Sleepless in Seattle. Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. Uh, so back when this movie comes out, it, it's a pretty big hit. Everybody likes those kind of romantic comedies. They were actually pretty good back then. And it has the story of this, this young boy who is who uh, wants his father to, to get uh, remarried. They lost the mom. And, and through a, a radio hookup, you know, talk radio, this this young boy, I think his name was Jonah or something, wanted wanted his his father to, to meet up very romantically with this woman on the other side of the country in New York at the top of the Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. So he's he's scheming to get all this done. So finally, he hitches a, a, a plane ride over to New York. His father has to go follow him out there. He's trying to rescue his son from doing something foolish. He goes to the top of the Empire State Building, thinking that this will be this will be the the moment to bring his his father with his new potential mother together, and it doesn't happen uh, at first. Oh, she doesn't show up. His father comes to rescue him. They have a nice little bonding moment, and then they leave. And then Meg Ryan shows up right after them, just misses them. So they're like ships passing in the night. They just missed out on love, apparently. And she's standing there on the observation deck of the Empire State Building, and she looks down and she realizes that there's a backpack. It's the boy's backpack. And she's holding it like, what, where did this come from? And right at that moment, Jonah and his father come back up to claim the backpack. And they see each other. And boom, it's kismet. They fall in love. I started thinking just a couple of years after September 11th, wow, in the post-9-11 world, this love story doesn't happen. First of all, that backpack would have been national. It would have been national headlines. There would have been bomb squads there. The entire uh, building would have been cleared out. Uh, they would not have ever met. I mean, you think about the you think about the romantic nature of just this casual life that we had here in the United States and abroad. So so much changed. Uh, even even things that were almost undetectable uh, in the stories that we were able to tell because it wouldn't be practical anymore to leave something to forget something as silly as a backpack behind. And uh, I um, that's just something that kind of. Yeah, it was a launching point for me like so many others. But my, my life, I've always been in, very interested in mysticism, especially Christian mysticism, uh, prophecy, like the three days of darkness and, and um, revelations, uh, the, the history uh, of Europe, Merovingian kings, uh, Christ's bloodline, 
I have just been so open and so hungry for stories of the paranormal and stories of great feats and, and hidden and buried treasure and, and, and legends and folklore. That stuff has always made my imagination run wild, and I never wanted to let go of it. And by the time that we got into the uh, – we were knocking on the new millennium's, the, the millennium's door, and the world started changing for the absolute worst – uh, it, it really married itself so perfectly with all of my previous, I, I, I say, interests and all of my passions. Because at that point, I start considering that there are greater esoteric hands at work here. That perhaps the, 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 the legends of the past are not too far removed from what we're living through right now. Because, I mean... Uh, I know it's easy to separate ourselves from what happened in the 14th century or the first century, but it's not. We aren't separated. It's all relative. We're on the same timeline. We're contributing to the same story. Uh, it's it's still being written. And I think that there is something very um, energetically powerful about that. So my red pill moment has just been a slow boiling of the frog. And, uh, and thankfully, I never swore off all of those uh, those silly stories and thrown them into um, the dustbin of just silliness. No, nope, uh, it's only compounded for me, and I think that that's just the way it's progressed. Well, your passion in exposing things that have been hidden from us shines through, as does your meticulous understanding and the breadth of your knowledge. This is really one of the things that I appreciate most of your show is that not only do you have that, that knowledge and that passion, the other thing is that you break it down so well because you know the topic so well. Well, you know, Noor, I, I appreciate that. The, the thing for me is it becomes a lot easier to tell the story of either yesteryear or right now if you understand people. Uh, if you understand the politics that plays out on a on your average your average playground's sandbox, then you understand what's playing out on a larger scale. Now, <clears throat> you you may have to have a crash course in money, how it's made, how it's laundered, and the systems that have been created, government, and and how how intelligent how spying works and. And, you know, the history of war and false flags and and uh, banking. I mean, that's stuff that you pile on as you get older and you become a little bit more interested in how it affects you. But as far as as far as why things happen and what is behind it all, then you really just need to understand yourself as a person. What motivates you and, and what motivates the people around you? I mean, no matter how, I think it was... Um, I forget what I was reading. I think I was reading – this was on Tuesday night when I was talking a little bit more about Don Lemon and, uh, and that, that ridiculous, that ridiculous uh, attempt he made uh, suggesting that reparations once again should be paid from the British, the British royal family because of one horrible thing or another they've done. You know, and it's not so much that uh, I'm absolving – the, the British Empire of atrocity, uh, nor am I find the need to go and celebrate all the good that it has done over the years as well, but it's just so much so that constant obsession 
over needing to capitalize on the past and all of that. We were, we were talking about this, and I said to myself, um, oh, shoot, where am I going with this? <laughs> wait, wait, what, what we, Nora, where, where do we start with this one? Uh, where did we start with this one? <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no, no. No, this was going in a great place. Uh, um, we understanding ourselves? Under, un, yeah, understanding ourselves, that the, the motivations that we have, you understand that some people have a lot less impulse control than you do. You 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 can see what their what their aim is, how they're always working an angle. Uh, I mean, uh, those politics uh, they're a little bit more baselined when you're in the sandbox as a child. But does it not get a lot more a lot more tedious and a lot more painful when you get into high school and you're dealing with hormones and you're dealing with you know the, the you know breaking away from home and the the rebelliousness of trying to push away from. Uh, parental units and and uh, guardians and all that stuff, pushing back and challenging teachers, and and then and then then moving into those first years of your life where you are taking on some authority at a small job. You're a camp counselor. You're a night manager at a, at a McDonald's. You're you're given a little bit more responsibility. How do you handle that power, no matter how small it is? I mean, you can see how people do well with some things, how they do bad with other things, and why it's happening. I think if you understand all those really mundane things about ourselves, and then you just extrapolate it out to people who are directing trillions of dollars, trillions, in many, in many cases, just making it up out of thin air, creating trillions of dollars to go and funnel it around the world to one end or another. Then you understand the motivations and you understand where this all might be leading. And um, yeah, all the, the history, it enriches your understanding. It enriches your understanding of the story, you know, the characters that led us here because we are interacting with them and we are trying to figure out how that that all concludes, but uh, understanding ourselves is, I think, the greatest way of of really being able to tie together those conversations that I have on the show. Anybody has because it's not rocket science. It's just it's just mankind, and we're we're pretty predictable. the 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 ruling class knows how predictable we are, which is why they know how to push all of our buttons and uh, and and force huge swaths of our of our world, of our species, into acting uh, either in unison in some ways. As I said before, after September 11th, there's a great, uh, a great swell of jingoism and people's patriotism and uh, has been hijacked in one way or another. And we are all centrally focused on going to war and getting revenge. That, that's when we still had a culture that was a lot less fragmented and we had a lot more, a lot more um, good things in common as far as what we held dear. But the other way that, um, that human nature is used is in knowing what hot buttons to push to make sure that we continue to form circular firing squads and attack each other. I think that's where we are right now because I, I'm sure, Noor, you can agree, there's really not that much universal universality to our morals anymore. The thing I want to bounce off of is exactly that, the fact that the architects of this entire ecosystem that they've built understand very well 
how humans function. And I'm sure you've studied this extensively as well. You look at experiments like the Milgram experiment. They know, they know how to use hierarchy in order for us to obey and go along with certain agendas. And obviously we can look at the, the writings of people like Walter Lippmann and Edward Bernays. I think the first quarter of the 20th century is actually so fascinating because a lot of the consequences of what we're seeing unfold today take root back then. And looking at the more recent past and current situation with the so-called pandemic, all these doctors that just blindly obeyed their orders, their marching orders with the jabs, with the PCR tests, etc. It's just so telling of how human nature and how fear and different triggers were used in order to control us. And you're absolutely right. We need to understand all of this because once you understand that, the veil is lifted and we're no longer these obedient little minions they want us to be. Yes, and I um, and you so rightly spread out your concentration on things like nutrition. You know, how, how do we function? It's one thing to talk about propaganda. It's one thing. It's one thing to analyze media and the messaging there, and our pitfalls and in in um, public and private education. But it's another thing to check out how we are being nourished what kind of foods we're being pushed away from and what kind of environment. I mean, it's not even just what we eat and the water that we drink and what's put in that water. It's also the the air that we're breathing. And, and, you know, you brought up the Milgram experiment. I think that what has been even more so expressed uh, widespread in our, in our culture today was the, the ash conformity experiments. I don't know if you ever saw those, but it's a, it's a real big rat's nest. Yeah. Yeah, that, and then you have, what is it called? Uh, Amazing Polly has done a tremendous job explaining what this is, the Bitterman's chart of coercion. Have you seen no. that? It's a, it's a chart that details the different ways that you can coerce a population into certain behaviors. And uh, your dear friend, someone for whom I have a lot of admiration, Amazing Polly, has uh, done or dedicated, I think, a couple of episodes to that and refers to it quite often. Mm. But the point I wanted to make is that the I have a much more macro way of seeing things and the nutrition thing that's really Ren who's who's dedicated a lot of his efforts to focusing specifically on that front. But you're absolutely right. There are so many different fronts that they've used in order to weaken us. And this is what I wrote in the preface of the of the ex Benedict option, Ren's book, is that They've done everything to weaken us, mind, body, and soul. And you mentioned it earlier in the call. They captured the education system in order to dumb us down. And whether it's through the air, in terms of our physical bodies, the food that we eat, and Ren says it, you know, everything that they've recommended we do in terms of nutrition and the diets and the foods that we should eat for the past 70 plus years, we should actually be doing the exact opposite. Mm. Uh, yes. No, I agree Whole, wholesale. I've been doing the exact opposite of a lot of things instead of, I mean, I've over the last five to six years, it has been a slow, gradual, complete change in my, I mean, I, I'm still very much the same personality wise 
but if there's other things there, I'm a little bit less sporadic and a, a little bit less uh, unfocused. First of all, with my with my nutrition, that's something that I knew needed to be changed. I understood that where we were getting our food was ultimately of utmost importance. It's going to be very hard to completely separate oneself from processed foods altogether. Uh, there's you're always going to run into something, so you have to. You have to just a go easy on yourself. You're fighting your way out of a out of a routine that most people never even know that they're in. So I started doing a lot of intermittent fasting. That's what I, I started earlier this year. That's the latest thing I've been doing. But the focus during my eating window has been has been uh, saturated fats, proteins, steaks, eggs, the whole egg. I even want nor I even want to get into the, the practice of of uh, mincing up these uh, these eggshells and using those. Do you slunk? What, what, slunk? Oh, what do you mean? Just eat, 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 them, eat them raw? Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what Ren has been uh, promoting since he, since he came out on the scene. It's just egg slunking. So basically you crack open the eggs in a jug and yeah. you go, I mean, they've, they've slunked on, uh, on air with Ren on InfoWars, like uh, with some of the, the crew there. And you just drink up these raw eggs that's called slunking yeah i I, you know years ago because i when i started realizing that things like sucralose i was going i had a couple of uh, weight gains in in high school i would have i would have taken a human life nor to be able to to gain 10 pounds and and you know when i'm working out i'm trying like hell to get buff i just don't have the body type for buff but back then i'm trying you know i'm going to bed Right before I go to bed, I'm cracking open a can of tuna fish and having a, a, a mil, uh, having a, a protein shake just to just give me something more before I went to bed. And then finally, I start realizing that all of my favorite protein shakes had things like sucralose in there. Now I knew about aspartame back then, but when I saw sucralose, I'm like, okay, well that's sucrose. That's just that's just sugar, granulated sugar. That's that's uh, you know maybe maybe I don't want a lot of that, but at least no, it's not. You start realizing. The way that they change up their ingredients names to make it seem like it's something that your body can digest. How many times did they change the uh, the, the name of, of uh, corn syrup and all that stuff? So I, when I started becoming a little bit more wise to the artificial sweeteners and everything else that are inside of these, these health products, I said, okay, you know what? I got to get a little bit more basic. So in college, I started slonking. I, uh, I didn't know that that's the, the name, but I, I just kind of uh, inferred. Um, I would take three or four eggs at a time, put them into a glass, just a little bit of milk. These days when I do it, I put a little bit of half and half instead because there's less sugar in half and half. And uh, uh, maybe a, a, a teaspoon of vanilla mm-hmm. and just a, just a little bit of sugar, just just a little bit. And I would Mix that up just a bit. I wouldn't even blend it, just with a, a fork, and down it went. And I'll tell you, it tastes like it tasted like eggnog. It was pretty. I mean, for some people, it's going to be a texture thing when you feel all the uh, the raw egg whites just sloshing around and slipping down your throat. <laughs> you have to get used to that for sure. But other than that, I mean, I never had any problems. They were like, "You're going to get E. coli." So I, don't, I don't know, or or whatever salmonella. Salmonella, uh, yeah. That's it. No. No, that's, I don't. I don't think so. That's. I. Th- I think it's great. 
And um, oh, you, yeah. You know, not a lot of people know this. I think I've never mentioned it actually, but one of my first red pills was actually sugar. Because oh. similarly to you, I can't gain weight. It's a family thing. It's genetic. I mean, my mom, when she moved to California uh, and went to study at USC with, with my father, she was actually drinking something called weight on to put on weight. And both my parents are very slim. And uh, I've inherited these, uh, these genetics. And so I could eat whatever I wanted. I mean, I could go to McDonald's every single day for a month or two months and not gain a single gram anyway. And the thing is, I had a very healthy diet at home. You know, my mom made sure that I ate very healthily, fish, meat, rice, uh, salads. And the thing is, I was always hungry in between meals because I kept just burning everything. And on top of that, at, at the time growing up, I was doing seven to eight hours of sports in school because I was in all these uh, sports teams. I was a little bit the star athlete, one of the star athletes of my school, but that's another story. And so I was always, always extremely hungry. And in between meals, I figured, okay, I'm going to eat chocolate. I'm going to eat all these like snack bars and I, I loved candy and I was eating all this, excuse me, crap. And I, and we didn't know better, you know, and as long as I was eating all the fruits and vegetables and meat and protein, etc., during, you know, the meals, we figured it was okay. And then in my, in my mid twenties uh, or so, I had a health scare, which turned out to be nothing actually, thankfully. But it got me uh, researching about uh, the food that I was eating, and particularly sugar. And that mm. was a rabbit hole. And uh, that was a big red pill for me then. It, it, it really does throw a stick in the spokes, um, sugar. Uh, first of all, I don't. everybody's like, oh, I got a sugar rush. I'm running all around. I never had sugar rushes. Sugar always made me feel like, okay, I'm going to – if if I were to sit down and I give myself – you know, for most people who intermittent fast, you just, you know, you stick to a nice diet. Uh, you're pretty strict from Monday to Friday. You work out, you eat lean, you eat, uh, you know, a good amount. You, obviously, you're staying away from sugars. That includes a lot of uh, breads and all that because it all breaks down to sugar. That's the other thing that people don't really grasp at first that I think okay I'm going to stay away from Snickers I'm not going to have my Jolly Ranchers and uh, and and no more soda for me it's like you you know that things break down to simple sugars right and that uh, mostly we're talking white breads and things like that so uh, whenever I do have bread now it's a little bit more on the fermented side of things so I'm talking sourdough which which is great because I love sourdough bread but when it comes to when it comes to what sugar does man I uh, on Sunday mornings, either Saturday or Sunday mornings, I pick for uh, a day that I'm just going to eat whenever and whatever I want. And I'll usually go out and, you know, have an omelet, maybe some French toast or something. But if I have pancakes, French toast, anything that is not only sugary in itself with the bread that you're throwing onto the pan or the, the pancake mix, but then to add the syrup on top, I'm telling you, A – my stomach can't handle it anymore. I can I can barely get through a half a stack of pancakes. And then afterwards, I want to sleep for the half of the day. I feel like I ruin half my day more than I do, almost as bad as being hungover from the night before. I don't drink really much at all during – and that's another, that's another source of sugars and, and all that other stuff there too. 
during the holidays, I'll have a little bit extra scotch. You know, I'm, I'm drinking with my father-in-law, and we'll we'll just be talking. And you're going to a lot more parties, and and I'm a little bit more of a social drinker. I'll have something in my hand, but I'm not slugging them down. But because the the days when I would have a little bit more, uh, and I would get drunk. It never, first of all, it never ended well for me. My stomach just, it's not good with all that stuff. And the next day, you surrender the next day, you feel like trash. So the same thing I, I started realizing is, uh, is, is what sugar is. I had the same exact reaction. And it just doesn't help out anything. So I, um, I, I love that. I love that. That's the, and I think that's the greatest thing uh, about the intermittent fasting is that once you get into those 14, 15, 16 hours, the 16th hours or so of the fast is where your glucose, your, your, in your blood, those have been, all that uh, glucose has already been depleted for energy. And now you're going into the burning of body fat for energy and you're feeling like you're lean and mean. And I, I'm, I, I'm zero focused on, I'm focused on everything at that point. Fine focused. Sugar is like the enemy of that. Yes, it's the enemy of productivity, if you ask me. But, but, I am not a robot. So, once we get into, you and I were speaking a little bit off air about how much we love the um, the fall seasons and the crispness of it all and just the change in, in scenery and also in weather. Uh, once we get deeper into fall, we go to late October and November and all that, there are still mornings where it is so appropriate and so cozy to be able to put a little bit of cream, a little bit of sugar in your coffee, and I still enjoy that greatly. I'm, I'm just not going to be sprinkling sugar on everything, and, and I'm not going to be eating stacks of pancakes anymore, and, um, it, it, and the impact is real and immediate, if you ask me. Yeah, I think it's so important uh, that we understand that, as I said, specific front of the war, which is why Ren's book is so important. He was on the show, uh, on the podcast, we did a call last week, and I'll use this, this opportunity to really encourage people to get the book because it's been such a crucial front of their war to, to weaken us and to make us sick. And it's an entire, again, ecosystem whereby the food that we consume, the chemicals that they use, the pesticides, etc., all serve to weaken us and make us sick. And then you've got the pharmaceutical companies working hand-in-hand hand with them often part of the same conglomerates, then feeding us medication that are supposedly treating the ailments that we get as a result from the food and these chemicals that we're consuming. But obviously we know that they're, they're not. And all the things that are good for us, whether in terms of the foods that we're supposed to consume and the natural remedies that we can find in different plants, etc., they are doing everything they can to sever us from that knowledge so that we remain a weak population because weaker populations are easier to control. Yes, yeah, and that goes full circle with what we were talking about before. When you are brought up inside of an echo chamber that has been controlled to make sure that you are undereducated, that you are uh, malnourished, that you are overly emotional, that you have no spiritual grounding, that you have sworn off the traditional, the stable, the rock solid, and you go a little bit more into this demanding of instant gratification of anything else that is that is really dictated by day-to-day political whims and massive and frequent pop culture shifts 
there's no consistency there. It creates a society that is comprised mainly of leaves blowing in the wind that will go wherever the wind blows. And if you are powerful enough and you have the influence that we know exists through government and all of their apparatchiks and and appendages and media and elsewhere, then you know that they have the ability to create mighty gusts of wind and they direct exactly where the wind blows. So I think to your point, that is a big part of the way that they continue to control the way that we, reality-producing machines, are made to produce reality on behalf of somebody else's desires. And we have been constantly rooked of how our body works, how our mind works, the true nature of the soul. But I think that the, 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 the thing to for me to really cling to hope is once again just the, the nature of man is never really fully fully appreciated or um, or given its due by the these ruthless reptilian class rulers. I, uh, I really just do believe that innate inner light is something that cannot be snuffed out, even though it needs a little bit of help articulating what it's feeling from time to time. I think most people really are consciously intelligent enough to realize that the, the habits that have been assigned to us, that the, uh, the discussions and the debates that have been given to us as well, they are at a um, we're at a crossroads, and they they really are conflicting with what feels right, what with what feels natural. I I really do find it hard to believe that a majority of people in this country feel like it is humane and logical to to not only first confuse children about what their gender is, but then to go and to commit to body mutilation, ir- irreparable bodily mutilation. Uh, in order to make right what has been done psychologically or emotionally. Uh, I I do believe that all of this that we're seeing right now has to continue to be projection because the average person sees this as an abomination. But the projection says, hey, uh, you are in the minority, so you better not speak out too loudly or else you're going to lose your job and your reputation. Uh, So it's really all about breaking spells for us. I, I will always stand firm that a vast majority of humanity, they are innately intelligent about what is right and what is decent. And we just have to break the spell on, on all fronts, nutrition and everything else. I, it's just about breaking the spell. Frank, I love hearing you speak because you always have the exact right words and formulate these concepts so well, which is why, you know, your show, on top of it, you do it so consistently every night of the week. And it's just such a treat to listen to you speak. And I think this is absolutely right. We are in the era where we're breaking all these spells. And as you put it also beautifully, this innate inner light in people is telling them that something is very wrong with how the world has been working so far. I, I, it's, a, it's great to be here hanging out with you and talking about this stuff. In, in fact, this conversation has all the trappings of a hot coffee conversation. I have, a, uh, I have a, an iced coffee with me right now because I have not switched over. The seasons, with, with the seasons comes changes in, in how the coffee is prepared in my house. But um, you and I, these talks, they make me feel really warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> me too. Which, 
So I, I, I should have brewed some hot coffee today, but I, I appreciate this. And I think that every time someone like you puts out an episode like this and talking to the people you do and following your interests, which are, are so in line so in line with what is necessary and what we're moving toward. I don't know. I think you are just very naturally curious about the right things, Noor, and that's why we've become fast friends, and, and, and you're doing really wonderful things in the world, and I, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Right back at you, Frank, and uh, you're really such a, such a great warrior with a great style, and you do it so naturally, and I so enjoy your show, and for, for listeners... You, on your show people know the story but I actually called in and you're the only one since I went public you're the only show where I asked to be on because I love it so much and the thing I want to say is just keep breaking these spells you do it so well Frank yeah I, I thank you and uh, trust me that is a high compliment I remember the first night you called in I didn't even know it was you I was so uh, shy <laughs> I know you called and you said, hi, this is Noor, and, and, and I, it just went over my head and all that stuff, and I, I was so uh, I was so happy for the call, it was such a, a nice a nice thing, I, I get a lot of calls, but I remember more than people give me credit for, and it, was, it wasn't until after I got home and I'm doing my downloading and uploading and encoding of, of the podcast and all that, I started getting emails, Frank, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was Noor Bin Laden that called you up today, I said, what? So that, and that's when I went and I was looking for you on Twitter and elsewhere, and I finally found you. I said, "Hey, let's call back into let's let's get you on as a guest." So I didn't even know it was you the first time you called in. It was it was really um, that that was a funny thing, and I'm I, I love the way that things work out. Yeah, because the thing I remember exactly. I think it was the night before New Year's Eve, twenty twenty. and uh, I was up late listening to the show live, and I just decided. I'd call in even though I was I was pretty shy about it and I had just been so touched that you'd had read part of my letter to America in September when I first put it out there and I just wanted to thank you because you were doing a special roundup of the year I remember oh yes yeah. wow 2020 yeah. and now the tables are turned and you're on my podcast which I'm very thankful for it's great to have you on and listen Nora anytime anytime you need a guest and and want to and want me to come back, I would be more than happy to hang out with you for a nice little morning recording session. This has been a tremendous a, a tremendous thing to do on just a, a random Thursday in September. Thank you for this. No, thank you. And I'm going to hold you on to that. You'll have to come back. Done. Cool. We'll speak very soon in any case. Okay. Well, I guess that's it. See you later. See you later. Bye, Frank. Bye. Bye. Bye.